Hello and welcome to Historical Fantasy. I'm Guinevere Lee. And I am Noel Sayar. And today we're going to change things up just a little bit because today we're going to be talking about demons. And I thought the best way to do that would be to tell some stories that we found interesting. So we both brought a story mm -hmm. and... Noel brought a story about a Tengu, and yes. I brought a story about an Oni. And I thought maybe we could just take a quick pause and explain all these different terms. Sometimes you'll see demons and ghosts being called Oni, or Yokai, or Yusei, or Tengu. Yeah, in general, like, term Yokai is related with the Shinto mythologies. The Shinto uh, mythology. Yeah. And in general used to be not deities, but just like a supernatural creatures. And used to be the very ancient uh, histories. And they don't explain too much his origin. But usually he used for, in some cases, make stories with moral, with teachings background. Yeah, but this, these... My history play a little bit with this a little. Yeah, these are all morality tales, which is pretty common in any kind of folklore <laughs> and mythological legends. The Tengus appeared just in the Heian period the first time and used to be represented as a bird, like a human-sized bird. And with the back of the days of the centuries, they start to become humanized. He started to become more human-like. And nowadays, used to be represented by like a red mask with a very long nose. That is basically the evolution of the beak of the of the oh, bird. Oh, okay. Now that you say that it will used to be a beak, it makes more sense. <laughs> one of the characteristics is us have one tooth getas. The getas, they are just like traditional wooden shoes. Yeah. And also have a fang made of feathers that is supposed to be able to summon like a strong winds. With the introduction of the Buddhists, they start to demonize the Tengus. And they appear like the enemies of the Buddhists. And the history say that they used to kidnap the monks <laughs> and put fire on temples. Oh, so they were responsible for all those fires. Yes, it must be. <laughs> but also in some of the layers become protectors, mostly from the forests and the mountains where they live. Oh, yeah. And they have the, um, the reputation to be wrathful in the defense of the forest. And in general terms, used to be kind of like a trickers and the liars and used to try to like trick the humans. And the most of the histories used to be a kind of moral about how arrogant and the proud the men are and represent this as the figure of the Tengu. In fact, there exists one expression in Japanese that say Tengu Ninaru, that is literally become a Tengu, that is become like arrogant and greedy. <laughs> I like it. So, uh, tell us, what is your tale of the Tengu? My tale is called Kobutori Jisan. What does that mean, Kabutori Jisan? I think it will make spoilers. Okay. If I if I get like the the, the meaning, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll tell you the, the 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 English version of the name at the end of the story. Yes. All right. <laughs> so it's a man in one like a village that have a big lump in his face. Like a tumor. Yeah, like a tumor. So he tried to make something to like the lump go away, and because he didn't be able to, he become super sad. 
and he just go to the forest in order to live in the forest forever. So in the forest, he met a Tengu. Like uh, they are making a kind of party with a different Tengus, and they are like uh, dancing and drinking. So like uh, this man joined them, and like uh, was you do. <laughs> <laughs> so he was dancing with them, and the Tengu was super happy. So, as a reward, they give him a present, but they want him to come back the next day. Mm. So, in order to that, they remove the lamp for the, his face, thinking that the man who will want the lamp back, <laughs> I will return the next day in order to like a dance with them. The man returned to the village, very happy because don't have the lamp, and he just live with like his family, like happily there. But one man in the village listened to the history, and that man has, has like a lamb in his face. Mm. And thinking that, well, I wanted the same for me. So like uh, he went to the forest and looking for the Tengus. But the Tengus don't be able to differentiate this man from the other man, so they thought that he is the same man from the day before. So this man was dancing with the, with the Tengus, so the Tengus give the lamb back to this man. So this man come back to the village with not only like the original lamb, with also the lamb from the previous man. Oh. <laughs> so is is the translation lumpy-faced uncle? No, I think the translation that I see is like the um, all well the grandpa that can lose the lamb. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really roll off your tongue, yes. does it? I know you're what so... is the moral of this story? You mentioned these are all supposed to be morality tales. Well, normally, not only this, but like uh, the other history that I found used to be punished like the greedy. Oh, yeah. And in this case, well, I mean, the other man was not greedy, but he tried to use, as a kind of advantage, the experience on the other man. Right. I guess he was, yeah, he was trying to take advantage of the Tengus, so... Yeah, and like... The Tengus were essentially justified in punishing him. Yeah, but it's supposed that the Tengu, they are not good for, like, essence, so right. the Tengus don't feel the necessity to help, like, uh, right. the man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. They're very neutral, just like the forces of nature are, especially when you live in Japan, where... You're just completely at the mercy of tsunamis and earthquakes and fires yeah. and... Man, it must have been so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> or I guess the way that they dealt with the stress was just to say, well, nature is uncaring. So, yeah. so our demons are also uncaring. <laughs> so what's about your history? Yeah, so I wanted to tell a story about an oni, which are these of ogre-like demons. They're, when I think of the classic demon from Japanese folklore, this is what comes to mind. They're usually these massive figures with horns coming out of their heads. In this case, they have red skin. And I know Noel, he always mentions that they carry around clubs. In this story, he does not carry around a club, <laughs> and he actually lives in, like, this beautiful Japanese palace, which is in a cave, but he lives like a Japanese nobleman. He has his servants, and it's kind of funny, because the image that I have in my mind of an oni is kind of like a, a big caveman, basically, yeah. 
But in this, it's a very sophisticated demon, and it has to be tricked. The story is called Shuten Doji, which mm -hmm. roughly translates to drunken demon. <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's going to be a party in this story. So a little bit of history. This story takes a real historical character, a, well, a real historical person named Minamoto no Raiko, and the Minamoto family was very influential in the Heian period, and one of the ways that Tokugawa managed to lay claim to the shogunate was by proving that he was related to the Minamotos. Yes, it's true. So actually, this story became very popular in the Edo era because the main character, Raiko, was essentially a stand-in for the Tokugawa shogun of the time. <laughs> so it is, was so convenient that history in that time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in the story, girls, specifically beautiful young women around 17 and 18, the text actually says that, <laughs> uh, start going missing from Kyoto. And it seems like everyone's sort of okay with this until this one particularly beautiful princess goes missing, the daughter of one of the more influential counselors. So he goes to Raiko and he says, take your men, go into the mountains and kill the demon and bring back all of our daughters. Mm. You know, now they care. Yeah. <laughs> Before he and his men head out, they go to the three different shrines and they each leave an offering for the different deities. This is important later. <laughs> um, basically, they head into the mountains, and they need to go incognito. So they dress up as monks. And along the way, they meet all these old men whose daughters have also been taken. These are villagers. And they were actually planning to go into the mountains to defeat the demons. But then when Raiko and his men show up, they're like, oh, but you know what? You guys can do it. But we'll show you the cave. So follow us and yeah. we'll take you there. And then it turns out that these old men are not old men, but the three deities from the shrine. See, I told you it would be important. Uh, who are rewarding Raiko and his men. So, I mean, if we're going back to morality tales, yes. <laughs> you know, always go to your shrine and pray to your uh, temple deity. They reach the uh, the cave entrance and all the demons are hanging out outside. And I I think it's kind of funny because, you know, the deities are like, you must be cautious and make sure you're not caught. And then they immediately go up to the demons and introduce themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but really what they meant was don't let the demons know your true identities because the demon, Shutendoji, mm -hmm. is aware that Raiko and his men are after him. So he's sort of on the lookout for him. But he doesn't pay any attention to these monks. In fact, he invites them in and he says, come, let's have some dinner. And their dinner is sake, which is made from squeezing the blood out of humans. <laughs> so it's basically just blood. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> it didn't really say if it fermented the blood before it served it or not. For make the alcohol. But I'm sure it was great. And then with the uh, squeezed out bodies, they turn those into condiments. And I wasn't sure what they meant by condiments. I was thinking maybe, like, when we go to a Japanese restaurant, you get, like, pickles on the side. 
I was yeah. wondering if maybe they they meant like they were pickling the body parts. Yeah, I mean it's not important as long as you understand that they are eating like a yeah. like a like human. Basically. Yeah. So Raiko and his men sit down for this dinner and they're served with this blood sake and Raiko is just like, yeah, this is delicious, and he takes it and drinks it in one gulp, and all his men follow, and Shuten Doji is just like. Are these guys for real? Well, okay, here, have some of my condiments. And they bring out all these, like, limbs for them. And, again, they pick them up and they eat them. And now he's really intrigued by these weird monks. And they explain that because they're Buddhists, they can't turn down any gift that's given to them in goodwill. Oh. Yeah. So now Shutendoji really likes these guys. He's like, oh, I've just made some new friends. And Raiko pulls out a bottle of sake, and he's like, well, we've had your sake, now let's enjoy mine. But of course, it's poisoned sake. <laughs> or it makes them, like, extra drunk or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the demons get drunk, and they pass out, and Shutendoji goes back to his room and passes out. And the captured princesses find the men, and they lead them through the palace to Shutendoji's room. Where the deities show up again, and they say, oh, look, we chained him up, so just go in there and chop his head off. <laughs> so, I mean, basically all the work is done for them. Yeah, they just, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they go in, and they decapitate him, and they uh, cut his body into little pieces, and they rescue the princesses, and they're all heading back. But then it ends on a real downer, because as they're leaving the cave, they find one of the princesses whose limbs have been torn off, but she's not dead yet. <laughs> and so she's, like, begging them to kill her. And then the guy's like, no, we'll send help back for you. <laughs> but then the story never mentions her again. So it's like they just... So it's supposed that they was eating, like, the limbs of this the princess? I mean, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think basically they ate this princess and then just left her for dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a lot of princes, like, that they are complete. <laughs> we don't need this one in particular. Yeah. Yeah, it's a kind of terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go back to Kyoto and, you know, they're... With uh, 99% of the princess <laughs> back. <laughs> it's a good ratio. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> as far as a morality tale, I think it kind of falls short for me. Because they're the ones who are lying and conniving and I think it's actually funny because the demon calls them out on that right as they're about to decapitate him and he's like well none of us are liars yeah <laughs> but yeah I mean I guess it's just don't kidnap princesses or <laughs> or it's just like the bad action have like a reward I don't know a bad action has a bad reward. Yes. It might be more. Right. <laughs> yeah, usually like the, this Japanese like mythology history used to be a little bit dark. Oh yeah, super dark and super gory. Yeah. Can you, do you remember the name of the intestine monster? Like the kappa? No, is it the kappa that pulls out your... Yeah, pull your out back? your intestine through the anus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they always have two versions. They have the version of, of the horrible version of one monster, like a yokai, and then they have like a kind of like another history when it is kind or yeah. or just a little rascal. Kappas are super cute because they look like little turtles. Yes. And then they rip your guts out of your <laughs> asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so they always uh, play with this ambiguity. They have the two sides of yeah. the same history. I the, mean, I guess this goes back to the uncaring nature. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, but they're awesome. I don't. I. I. I think we should try to find some more stories like this. Yeah, I think, I think they are very fun. Uh, especially because my story, Lead in the Samurai, is starting to get more into the paranormal parts of. The Edo era. <laughs> so, going forward, I definitely want to talk about more mythologies and legends. So, that should be... Yeah, for the matter, like, Japan is very rich in, like, uh, this kind of, like, uh, oh, yeah. small side histories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's about 3,000 years worth of, yeah. <laughs> worth of stories we can go through. All right. Well, so I think it's enough for today. Like, uh... We will see us again in the next podcast. Yes, thank you for joining us. And... Itadashai! You don't question why you're running through a forest of bamboo. You don't give yourself time to think. You run, you scream, you cry. You run and run and run. And you hope the man chasing you with a bow and arrow doesn't kill you. Lita and the Samurai is a tale of a modern girl in ancient Japan. Only available on Chanillo.com. That's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. Lita, a young woman who moved to Japan to escape her abusive family, is slowly adjusting to her new life. She's learning Japanese, making friends, and enjoying the summer festivals. On the day of the famous Tanabata festival, she finds a small shrine. But when she steps out of the shrine, she steps into Edo-era Japan. Trapped 400 years in Japan's past, what follows is half fantasy, half historical fiction. Is her coming here an accident? Or does it have something to do with the sudden appearance of European ships off the coast? Lita must discover how she ended up in this situation and how she can get back home, or if she even wants to go back. Lita and the Samurai updates bi-weekly on Mondays. You can read the first chapter for free on Chanillo.com. Once again, that's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. We were the first, and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the White Snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth, and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsuhalpa. The jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Tuhark, 
The merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the Whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more about Guinevere Lee and her writing, visit GuinevereLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R-E-L-E-E.com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by Bensound.com.